Hi, I'm Esther. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, friendly faces up at this hour. You always know I'm leaving if I'm anywhere before like 10. Um, it is a thrill to be here. I'm very excited to have been asked and uh, glad to see the kitchen sink alive and well in its uh, new location. So it was bad. It was very, very, very bad. I was in Kentucky. I was um, different from everyone. I heard a woman share yesterday about remembering having, you know, a treat melting in her hand while she was trying to get something else or just that urgency of seeing another kid's lunch and just going, God, I want that. You know, I want that. How can I get that? And, and it is, a, for me, it is a desire that closes out humanity, commitments, love for another person. I've missed my best friend's wedding. I've driven with two flat tires. You know, I got pulled over once for eating. Um, I had, uh, I was eating, there was a stoplight, and I was kind of wandering into the, you know, neutral zone with my car, and the police woman uh, pulled me over, and she's like, are you okay? What's going on here? And I was like, oh, you know, I was, I was eating. And she was like, okay, you know, maybe keep your foot on the brake when you're eating. But... Uh, <laughs> Nothing, nothing was more important. Um, I remember being a flower child, uh, one of those girls' clubs things, and we were hosting a party for another girls' club, and I just remember saying to myself, and I was seven, nine maybe, I'm not going to eat the candy today. You know, today I'm not going to eat the candy. And so I was battling, like already. Um, my mom is a hundred pounder. It isn't really part of my story, but it kind of is because I grew up, you know, with the heavy mom, with um, with the knowledge that that's where I was going. You know, with the knowledge that that's that's who I was, because that's who she was. That's who I was. And I got to tell you, it's been very difficult to separate that out. Um, but I'm not her, and I do have her illness. But I, I luckily so far have not had. Her manifestation of her illness. I've been, uh, you know, 35 pounds overweight. This is the worst I've ever got for me. I have yo-yoed up and down, up and down, up and down. When I was about fifth grade, I knew I wore a woman's size 13 to school, which was too big for a girl that size. Um, before that, I was a skinny little rail. I was, you know, a tiny little person <laughs> until I was. I, I had allergies. I couldn't have all kind of food and. Um, and so when I got to the point where I could eat protein, really, I couldn't have poultry, fish, chicken, milk, nuts. So when I got to the point where I could, I just, boom, I just sprang up and I grew really fast. And from that point, um, I looked a little more normal. But I, I was a little little skinny kid. When all the girls were looking like girls, I was like a little skinny kid. And then when all the girls looked like girls, I was like kind of a big girl. And I remember my sister-in-law is about a size... Four and her mother is about a size two, and they call her mother Flea because she's so small. And they said to me, "You're just a big girl. You're just a big girl." So you know that that hurt. That wasn't what I wanted to hear. So I had to get out of Kentucky. I moved to California because that was clearly the problem. Um, I, I, I heard I heard somebody say about uh, their first meeting or something that their first meeting wasn't any fun or was bad or there were so many oh this uh there's so many reasons not to come back after the first meeting my first meeting was in a park I, I was driving so i must have been 16 um, my mom was in OA at that time 
And there was one guy at the meeting. He had a lazy eye. He was leaning against a tree. There wasn't any literature. There wasn't any anything. It was just me and this guy. I don't think we ever sat down. I'm sure he felt the pressure of bringing a newcomer the gift of Overeaters Anonymous, and he did not achieve that that day. So I got out of there. And um, <laughs> I came out here. My first memories of being in California are, you know, the disease. I couldn't. At that point in my life, at about 21, 2021, 20, I, I had no relationship with food except I could kind of not eat for a few days. That was the only control or moderation that, that I had left. I had nothing else. I mean, I had nothing else. If I started eating, I ate uh, until I was sick. And then I... You know, my old sponsor and I used to talk about the chemistry of trying to get enough salt so that you can put the protein, so that you can put the sugar, so that you can have more salt, and just getting getting a formula so I could get the most into me that I possibly could. Uh, very much about hiding. Uh, I never went to get caught. I snuck and ate, and um, there's a lot of power in that, I guess, for me. So I'm in California with these two cheerleaders, and um, one of them, uh, you know, they're both blondes, and it's the 80s, and everyone's wearing pumps. <clears throat> and at that point, I had two pair of slacks that fit me. I had a pair of blue paratrooper pants and a pair of camo paratrooper pants. pants. And you weren't going to miss me in either of them. I mean, I was... And that's what I wore. That's all I had. That's all I wore. And every day, I would take myself in front of my closet and say, like you would never do to a little child, you know, take your little daughter, your little niece, up to the closet and say, see that, you can't wear that, you can't wear that, you can't wear that, your arms do that, or that, you can't button that, and go through everything you own, and shame, 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 and then put on one of the two pair of socks, you know, and that's, that's what my life was, and I was 20, you know, I wasn't even, there wasn't even anything wrong with me, um, so the cheerleaders would go to the beach, and I would go to the beach, and I remember laying out, and um, I would lie. I was a liar. I was like, I'm going to the ladies' room, and I might not be back for an hour. So I ran off, and I went to all the little um, stands on Venice Beach and got whatever, and I was running, and I was gorging, and I was... Uh, I just remember coming back and laying down and just being like... <laughs> I mean, and, I, and again, I was a kid, but I could just, I, I had, it was so, the urgency was just so alive in me. I had to, I had to, I had to do it. And, you know, the alcoholics tell us it's a hell of a day when the patient wants to stop drinking and cannot. I mean, I went through the phase of, okay, now I've got to quit this. I've got to quit this. And I did the mylar suits and the sauna and the running and the jogging and the all bland. I did, you know, I did it. I did it all. My mom was in a couple of different weight loss clubs. And I, from a little child, I would go and stay at a pledge with her. I mean, intelligent person, I'll control my emotions and not let my emotions control me. I mean, I know the whole, I know the songs. Um, <laughs> they're awful. But... Uh, here I was in California all alone with these cheerleaders, and, and I tell you what, I knew where to go. And on a Wednesday night in Santa Monica in 1983, I had been here. I moved here August 16th. I came in after my birthday in October. And I went to a meeting. I went at 829 because I didn't want anybody to talk to me for any reason. And the first person I saw said, hi, are you a newcomer? And threw her arms around me, dragged me in the meeting, sat me down beside her. And the first thing they said is, how many people here are new for the first time? And she took my arm and said, you know, I'm new. 
and we say we don't do this to embarrass you, but we will. So, <laughs> and it's okay. We don't want you to go. This is my opinion. I don't want you to go home today and say they didn't even talk to me. That's why I do it. I do it to everybody that comes in as much as I can because I don't want you to have that over me because I will talk to everybody that comes in the door that's sick, you know, because I got something to say. I got something to share. Uh, and I have to pay attention. Um, bad, 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 bad. Went to OA. Um, I was the one who, now this meeting that I went to was a question and answer meeting. I was the one that, you know, raised my hand and said, how do you, I get it. I get the service and the writing and the sponsor. And how do you not eat? You know, how do you get that? How do you get that there? And, um, you know, for me, I know a lot of people take the second step and it's a beautiful occasion and they write it out and they talk to their sponsors. And for me, man, the first, second, third step are in a blender, just like, you know, I was doing service. I had stuff in my trunk. I was going to meetings. I was eating. I was not eating. I was getting chips. I had 30, 60, 30, 60, 30, 60, 60, 30, 90, 30. You know, I mean, I had chips and I, I couldn't do it. So I came to the realization that for me, for me, Esther, and I'm so convinced of this today, standing here, that I'm so, I'm, thank you, God, that I'm so convinced that if I eat any sugar, I'm going to die. Okay? It's not going to be fast. It'll be a graying of my spirit that will start to pop and just shut me down. If I eat sugar, I'm eating hate. When I eat sugar, I hate me, and I hate you, and I hate the world, and I hate, and I'm standing here in 2020, I'm convinced, right? I sound convinced. I was this convinced in 1980, you know, five, <clears throat> excuse me, and I still, I prayed on my knees every day, please God, please, so that, that was the realization, I couldn't have abstinence for me in sugar, I, could, I couldn't do it, I couldn't pull it off, but there was sugar involved, I was gone, I remember there was a salad that everybody was getting in Westwood, and um, my sponsor said, now is there sugar in the, in the dressing on that salad, well all those Chinese chicken salads, Asian chicken salads have this, you know, I said, I don't think so. And then when I got there, the line was like around the block for the salad, you know. And I thought, maybe there's sugar in there. <laughs> so I got up to the window and I said, is there any sugar in the dressing? No sugar. Is there any honey? No honey, no sugar. A little Cairo syrup. <laughs> you know, and God bless the people out there that tell me that I'm not abstinent because I still eat fruit and I still eat cornbread and I, you know, God bless them. I'm, I'm doing my best. This is what I got. This is abstinence. I had to make a list. What is sugar? What is not? I'm clear on what it is. I had a sponsor fire me because I ate a cracker that had sugar fifth and it, I, when I came in, it was fifth or last and, 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 you know, whatever. No more crackers for me. So, um, I couldn't do it, couldn't figure it out, didn't make it work, prayed on my knees. I went through how nine times you could, you could fail with a sponsor three times, and I failed with three sponsors. And finally, God bless Ramey, my last sponsor said to me, you know, let's find a way for you to eat so you can live. And at that point, that's all I wanted. I just wanted to, I just wanted to be alive, man. I just wanted to get up and, and not have that engine just start, you know. And I, I know that if you're here even a little bit, you know that dismantling that system that got me to OA is very difficult. It, it was very complicated. There were a lot of overlaps. There were a lot of, um, a lot of feelings. I can still remember maybe my second meeting, a woman said, you know, today I'm the woman I want to be because, you know, I feel my feelings. And that was, that was enticing for me. That was, that was something to look for. That was like, huh, that's what they do. 
So I couldn't stop eating sugar. I prayed on my knees for eight months solid. Finally, my sponsor said to me, you know, Esther, you've done your part in this. And I think sometimes sugar puts you down when it's done with you. And so you just keep living your life, and it's in God's hands. You've, you've done everything I know. So one night as I was going to go to bed, I was laying my head down on the pillow, and right before I hit the pillow, I thought, ah, I didn't eat sugar today. It was like I forgot, you know, and I was like, oh, huh. So don't belittle that first day, man. That's the, I'm saying, man, I got my Paisley shirt on, man, which is... <laughs> Sorry, I'm conscious of what my, my little uh, uh, peccadillos are today. But um, I thought, well, if that's one day, that's one day. And I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be really quiet about this. I'm not telling anyone that I'm abstinent, not even me. And every Sunday night it would be like, okay, that's another week. You know, and I mean, I just did it and did it and did it. And when I got to uh, 52 weeks, 365 days, was Valentine's Day, 1987. I can't make it from this place I'm standing to that car without eating sugar. And I'm telling you there's sugar between here and that car. And I can find it. <laughs> this is not Esther went on a diet. This is not Esther is a good girl. This is not Esther had, you know, anything but a miraculous spiritual intervention in my life that saved me. And uh, it's, am I quitting at 20 after? No, oh, okay, okay. Good. Um, I'll tell you what it's like today because um, it's, it's hard. I just got a new job. This is a position that I got let go from twice, six years ago, in a row, back to back. And I'm abstinent and I'm working the program. And uh, I was so frightened when I got this job. And I know now, standing here, what all that was. Uh, I undermined myself so badly. I did a rookie mistake. I didn't ask for help when I really needed it. I tried to muscle my way through a situation that I... I I was not going to make it through. And I didn't think my boss had my back, and he didn't. Um, but uh, I didn't like, I, I, got, I got let go. I didn't get invited to the next part of the job. And then that happened. Then I got another job. I was like, see, it's fine. I got another job. And then that happened again. And um, so I got that job again now. I just have done it uh, last week for the first time again. And, um, and I can tell you, I now really understand a worker among workers. I, I feel stupid saying I'm humbler, I'm more humble, but I can tell you that it's just like the big book says about the guy that got fired from his own company that he owned and he had to go back and work as a salesman. You swallow that kind of crow. You know, you're doing something right. And so it just became... More important to me to be a part of a team and to be involved in the work that I like to do than to be the monkey muck that gets paid better and gets a parking space and, you know, all that. So I did that for, God, well, six years pretty much. And now I have this opportunity again. And I can't tell you how frightened I am, but I had a realization the other day. Um, I got through it. I didn't eat. You know, I got through it. Um, and, uh, oh, and by the way, I got married at 49 for the first time, both of us first-timers. So we're hammering that out, too. Uh, <laughs> and um, uh, 
that's a whole new thing. This is somebody that lives with me. See, they didn't tell me this. You're supposed to talk about where you want to live and what city you're supposed to live in. And, like, you know, I didn't know. But it's, it's very good. It's very good. This man has a lot of storage spaces. He has a lot of stuff. He has a lot of stuff. And I'm a streamliner. I pack in one suitcase. I roll and I tuck, tuck, tuck. And he brings a CD player and CDs in a box. And a, da, 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 da. So, um, so I go into this job with a new attitude, is what I'm trying to say. Is that I just went in literally with that feeling the big book tells me about that I'm supposed to get to of what can I do to help? I remember Richie used to say on an audition, what can I, what can I do to help? What, I want to do service. What can I do that will lighten the burden for somebody else that can be a part of it? And I'm, I'm really trying to do that. <clears throat> and to the, to the best of my ability, I am. So here's my enlightening thing about fear. Um, I get afraid of little things. I get afraid of dumb things. And having been through the ringer that I've been through, I'm not really, you know, I'm not really afraid of anything anymore. I mean, I've, I've had, I've had the embarrassing moment where you lose your job and you got to come back and, and do something else for this pretty much the same people. God has slowly introduced me to absolutely every single person that I've been in contact with uh, again. <clears throat> so why not take that fear and take it out of my life and put it where it really belongs, which is really kind of on this project, on this job. You know, let's take that fear and have it be real. Let's not have it be imaginary. Let's just say I'm afraid. And then every day I get to work through that and I get to just show up and throw up. That's bulimic. Don't do that. But that's what my sponsor used to say to me, you know, not suit up and show up, show up and throw up because it's bad and you're scared and you're nervous. And, and, um, and so I'm not going to have fear on spec anymore. I don't want to, um, it isn't an action to worry about something. It feels like it's insurance. If you worry enough about, like for me, it's like, here's all the things that could go wrong. <laughs> let's just make a list, right? Here's all the things that could go wrong. Now, let's take them all to the nth degree. If this goes wrong, everything, you just take all the way to the edge, and then you figure out in your head, and this is when I need to stop. You know, you figure out like a monkey grinder thing, organ grinder with a monkey, you, you think, okay, well, if that happens, we'll do this. And if that happens, we'll do that. And, dip, 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 dip. and you think that's insurance. I think that that's, okay, now I'm going to protect it. And there's always something else. You know, the most unbelievable things happen in this life. Unbelievable things happen. Great things. Bad things. Medium things. That's my worst day. It's the day when everything's just like, okay. It's just like, okay, the temperature's okay. It's not hot enough. It's not cold enough. It's just, I'm not good in there. And there's a very famous AA speaker that said, you know, an, an alcoholic can stand about three days of serenity. And then you're going to stick your hand in the cesspool and just kind of, you know, what's going on over there? Just kind of. So I'm learning how to be abstinent and happy and joyous and free. And um, I think for a long time, all I really did was build fires and put them out. And I'm endeavoring to move past that. I'm endeavoring to just go out into the world like God intended and... Um, be the best I could be at all these different things. Now, uh, I have to be honest to a book that nobody on the other side of the door knows about. I have to be principled with principles they don't even they don't even heard of some of the principles we have. Um, I have to not eat. I have to um, pray and meditate and open myself up for everything I believe 
everything in my head to be wrong, to be revisited, to be corrected, to everything. This is what the 12th step is talking about. This is what the 11th step is talking about. I can quit eating. Okay, I write my inventory. I surrender my will and my life to the power of God as I understand him. And I, to the best of my knowledge and ability at this moment, which stuff comes up all the time, it's like, I was sitting in a meeting one time 12 years ago, and it was like, it dawned on me that my entire resume was a lie. I had just taken somebody else's work and put it on there. I was like, oh, that's not true. But good liars do that to themselves. They code it as, as okay, that, that could have happened. And then and, and you don't know. Uh, <laughs> so I'm a good liar. And I'm really honest today. Um, and I'll tell you in the middle of the story, hey, you know what? That's crap. That didn't happen. I'm sorry. I forgot. That didn't really happen. I wasn't really a Boy Scout. I used to tell people I was a Boy Scout. <laughs> A lot of things that I had to revisit. So the mindset to stay abstinent, okay, this, this is to stay abstinent. This is me. This is me. If I'm uncomfortable, I'm doing it right. If I go to bed a little bit, I'm, that, I'm right. I'm right in the pocket. And i got a sponsor I can call and friends I can call that I can say, I don't feel good today. I feel, uh, and they're like, you're doing it. That's right. That's what life kind of feels like for me. Uh, I heard somebody describe abstinence as floating in water. Now, this, I don't wish you this, but some days it's like floating in water and like your head's just above the water and you're breathing like, <laughs> you might drown, you know, but you're just kind of just there. And I don't always have it that way. It hasn't been that way for a long time, but when it is, I know what to do. I come to a meeting, I get a commitment, I ask to read, I answer the phone when people call and I put my number down and I'm not great on the phone, you know, I put my number down and, and answer the phone. Um, the best service I ever did, I started a meeting in Culver City because there's two great meetings in Santa Monica on Tuesday and Thursday. There's a step study and a, and a great meeting during the day. Hot dog. Time's up. And I started this meeting in Culver City. It's at 1 o'clock on Wednesday. And I'm the guy that they call on the, on the list if they can't find the meeting. And I love it. It's wonderful because they're always looking for a meeting and they're always happy to get one. So... Maintain a willingness to decide on the next best idea. That's my trick. Thank you. This is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leaders are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. Uh, please remember, if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. Pardon me, and I'm asked to restate the question after it is asked. Okay. Hi. Hi. I'm just curious, how do you keep your word when you say you're not going to eat something for today? Or, I mean, doesn't... You, don't you get like a weak moment that drives you crazy in your head saying, you know, like one person pulling you on one end and another person pulling you on another? How do you cope with that by doing the right thing 
and when you know the right thing is that you can't eat that for today or whatever, but how do you keep your word with that when someone is pulling you on one end and someone is pulling you on the other and saying, eat this, eat this, you can eat this for one day, just don't eat it tomorrow. And then someone, another voice says, no, you cannot eat that. You know what's going to happen if you do, you better not. You know are, they, are they people or are they virtual voices in your head? In your head. Uh-huh. Well, there's an answer to both questions. Actually, <laughs> actually both. Yeah, right? Both. Right. First of all, uh, great question. question is, um, how do you, when you made a commitment to a specific food plan for the day, how do you keep to it when there are outside forces kind of crushing your head, telling you to do something different? It's both in your head and out. It is both in your head and out. Yeah. First of all, I have to tell you my best trick. Um, the birthday party at the office. The birthday party anywhere, okay? <laughs> I love observing the birthday party and the wedding thing around the tree that everyone gets to have. And I tell you, at this point, huh? Well, you know, I got to tell you, at this point, I cut it. I, if it's mine, I cut it. I pass it out. I go in the kitchen. I make a cup of coffee. I come back out. I drink my coffee. And they say, oh, you should have a piece. And I say, I did. It was so good. This is my solution. I lie like a Persian rule because it just shuts them up. It shuts them up. And I get a little secret. I get a little buzz out of it. Also. And um, so I, I am at a point in my absence where I get a little bit of a thrill over the people. I swear, if somebody had a spoon at my mouth one time going, eat it, eat it, eat it, eat it. I worked for somebody that had some kind of chew she wanted me to try. Try it, try it, try it, try it, try it. You know, and I just see it as that's part of, that's part of them. It's part of them. It's part of our disease. Well, it's part of our culture for me. I feel like it is very interesting to watch the movie of the dance that goes on around the thing that everybody's going to get to have and how people get urgent and they want to play it and they, when are we going to do it? And it's just, it's, it's a movie for me that I enjoy watching. How do I keep a commitment? I can tell you that, you know what, I, I don't always, when I make a, a commitment, I usually do because I have a lot of experience of being different commitments at a meeting where you have to show up and you have to do something, and I, I, I understand um, physiologically what it means to make a commitment to somebody, do you know, and, I, and I, that keeps me a lot of times, that'll keep me right in there. I also, um, I text my sponsor, and I say, you know, maybe that's not so important today. <laughs> she writes back and says, maybe it is, you know, so I can go to people. This is where we go to meetings. This is where tools come in really handy. Just go through every single tool in the world. And I can tell you that if I don't, I will tomorrow. I will the next day. I'll keep that commitment. I've got a, I've got a, I'm trustworthy. You know, maybe I can't do it today, but I'll do it. And, um, and at that point, I just, I just forgive myself and, and do something nice for myself and go to bed. That's my answer. Sure. How do you get over the good girl syndrome? Um, That is a really good question. Um, Well, for one thing, inventory doesn't hurt because then I see where it got me. Uh, I get to, you know, I, I really, the hardest thing to face for me in my abstinence was my relationship with the opposite sex when I was trying to date I was very um, I lied a lot I had there was a lot of artifice in it and I can only tell you that it was heartbreaking to look back over 
really the men in my life that I had loved and wanted to be with and had just done such a show around not being simple, direct communication. Today, I try for simple, direct communication. And sometimes I'll say, you know, there's a part of me that would really love to say I'm going to help you move on Saturday because I like you and I want you to have help. And then there's part of me that just really wants to stay in bed and I'm not going to be able to help you because I want to sleep. So experimenting with honesty, they say be as honest with people in program as you possibly can. This is where we kind of bounce that stuff out for me. Um, Learning to say, I want to take the key to the church, but I don't think I can because I might get a job call that night and I just really want to be, you know, whatever. Um, Looking at my history, and um, I guess it started for me with recovery in my family, not because of them. They've not been to one meeting, by the way. But the recovery that I have, taking that into my family, I just kind of had to stop being a good girl. Um, My mother and my brother were always kind of raunchy, like telling raunchy jokes, and I didn't like it. I was always really uncomfortable with it. And as an adult, I had to say, you know, don't do that. Don't say that. Ew. So I hope that helps. Thank you. Good question. Oh, thank you. Do I have any daily practices? Yes. Now, I came in in 1983. I have been through every daily practice there is. I have read six books. I have read one book. I have read three books. I have meditated for an hour. I have meditated for five minutes. I have just sat on the floor and said the word meditation because that counts as meditation. Um, (laughs) I believe in my mind that this is part of that gigantic 11th step that, um, that grows and changes with me. Now, having said that, as the 12 and 12 says, the compulsive overeater will try to wiggle out of their responsibilities, given this, you know, this idea that you you don't have to do your fourth step right away. You know, you you can, what is that phrase? You can take your time. You know, that's not true. Uh, So what this program gives me is something new. I'm going to answer your question. I swear to God. I, I, I eat three meals a day. I plan what I'm going to eat before I go to bed. It doesn't mean I say blah, 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 but I do an inventory of what's in the house. I now also uh, have food come to the house because I'm not great at being hungry and not having anything to eat and then like having crackers and cheese. You know, I try to, I actually, I make a conscious effort through my sponsor to pack a lunch if I'm going to work and to bring and to have food in the house so that there are resources for me. Um, I'm currently doing a 10-minute-a-day meditation that I don't do every day, but I have a little chart that shows me what I did, and I do pretty good. I do half the month. Um, I'm in constant contact with my higher power now, so it's just like, God, hold me, help me, hold my hand. I mean, I used to walk through the aisles of the grocery with my hands in my pockets, you know, and I'm a little more trustworthy now, and I'm grateful. I can walk through the grocery with my hands out. So I hope that answers your question, but... um, the 11th step will widen and narrow and breathe for you as much as you need it to. I have 10 or 15 different pages of specific prayers I said every single day on my knees, and they're tattered, and I take them to Kinko's, and I laminate them, and I cut them in half, and I put them in my purse. I've got one in my purse right now. You know, I, the daily rituals that have worked until one day, I, I don't really need it, you know, and I don't use it anymore. I really actually do this. It's so funny. I start with three back cards, and then they disintegrate 
To the best of my ability, I am really willing to let go of the dubious benefits of operating under my defects of character. Give me the strength and willingness to let go of these dubious benefits, if you will. Give me the strength to not need them. Help me to grow so I don't feel I need them. I pray that you now take away everything that stands in the way of my simply being myself and communicating that to other people. I'm not going to remember that. <laughs> so, uh, whatever it is, do it and love it until you want to tweak it. Right here. Thanks so much. Um, I really liked what you shared about um, or how honest you were about when you stand in front of a closet and the voices um, go in your head. So I guess now um, you talked about your journey about how you were able to, I guess, address body image and how you um, deal with it. Well, it turns out that when you get married, you're like going to like commit yourself to this one person and like they're going to see me every day I used to have it so that like certain days I was like feeling good Um, and um, I just I just love myself today I just don't play Esther's fat I just don't I don't play it I don't use that language in the world I don't look at other people and say ooh how fat or anything I don't I, my husband doesn't do it anymore either he used to kind of in the grocery say oh my god look at that and it's like I don't do it the man by the grace of God by the grace of God so I took the language out I took the action of shaming out it's gone and um, I'm lucky I'm healthy and I was blessed with good genes you know I I, I'm a lucky person, and you know that just for what's the guy with the finger on his on his? They redid that pamphlet just for today. Before you take that first compulsive bite, remember, and it says in there, you know, just for today, if I I can cure everything that's wrong with me, pure on a daily basis, if I don't take a spoonful of fill in the blank, that's all I have to do, and even then I'm powerless over it as small as it is. So, I'm happy that I'm, I think abstinence makes me happy with my body. And believe me, I'm not an exerciser. I wish to God that I were. I'm not. I'm a Libra. We just sit around, I guess. I don't know. But um, I, I'm just over it, I guess, organically, if that helps. Thanks. Okay, I didn't repeat the last. The previous question was about body image. What do you do about body image? And this is talk about your evolution with your relationship with your higher power. I came in a recovering Southern Baptist. I uh, had walked down the aisle at 11 and given my life to whatever it was in the church that I felt. And uh, today I'm probably a practicing Buddhist. So uh, <laughs> there's been a spectrum. The great thing about the higher power is they're always there. They're always a teacher. They never force it down your throat. There's always something new to learn. We live in Los Angeles. There's all these books. Read books. Even my mother had a library of all the religions of the world. How interesting is that? You know, I, I, I get a lot of my, today, uh, my relationship with my higher power starts in the Sequoia National Park with that big tree. You know, I love nature. I didn't even know that. You know, and, and I, I get so much out of... You know, just watching a hummingbird. I, I just, 
that's my higher power today. Do you know? I mean, it's it's hard when you don't feel it and it's not there. And I've been there too. And I went to a spice store and I and I got myself a mustard seed, just like they said would be enough, you know. And I've had those dark nights where I didn't know what it was, and I then it was the ocean because you can't stop the ocean and. Um, there's room for all of it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't criticize myself for any of that journeying. It's all so precious, and I look back on it with a lot of love. You know, so that's it. Uh, oh, five more. Okay, go ahead. How do you when how do you differentiate yourself in your head the rules we we put on ourselves for abstinence here versus the rules in other diets? Well, thank you. That's a good question. The question is, how do I differentiate for myself the rules that we put in our heads for abstinence versus the rules of other diets? That's a tough one. You know, we used to call it the diet mentality. How do you lose the diet mentality? Um, <clears throat> One thing that helps is I eat more today than I ate when I was binging, okay? Because I eat a meal. I can't stress this enough for me, for my blood sugar, for the damage that I did to my body. I have to eat a meal. And I tell you, people will come up to me at meetings and they'll say, oh, my God, you haven't eaten sugar, and that's what I want, and all you have is what I want. I'm going to call you, and I call me. And I call, they call me, and I say, well, what do you eat now? And they tell me, and I say, well, look, you've got to eat breakfast. Oh, I can't eat breakfast. Breakfast makes me sick. (laughs) Shake hands with breakfast. You know, the reason breakfast made me sick is because I ate too much the day before. My abstinence is very much, and it's just starting to change, but my abstinence for millions of years was very much about breakfast, lunch, dinner. You have to have a meal. You can't, I can't have a salad. It's not a meal. It has to have protein on it. It has to have four ounces of protein or six ounces of protein, whatever I want. I have to have yummy, delicious, fresh food that makes me happy. And um, I can't eat a potato. You know, I have to have a potato with, you could put, you know, I don't, I don't want to talk about specific foods because people get weird. But, I mean, in the old days when we had gray sheet, they had bacon on gray sheet. You could eat bacon. You could have a potato with bacon and cheese. I mean, it's like... It's, it's, it's protein. I need protein in my body. And I have shaked, shaked, shook hands with the idea that some of the things that I eat at home, I would order in a restaurant, but they feel naughty. You know, like potatoes. Like I make, um, you know, uh, fish and potatoes. <clears throat> or rice. Oh, who eats rice? A whole bowl of rice, you know. But um, it's food. I eat food. I really eat three meals a day. Okay. I feel like I'm being scraped like a, a cantaloupe. Go ahead. Hi. Um, how has program helped you in your relationship or your new relationship with your husband? Sure. Um, there's no me without OA, first of all. The question is, how does the program help me in my relationship with my relationship. It isn't new relationship. I don't want you to know how old I am, but it isn't new. Um, I don't care. But um, uh, there's no me without OA. This was the great gift of the 12 steps and of abstinence. Is that there, The only thing missing in my life before I came in here was me. I didn't know what I liked. I didn't know if I was messy or clean. If I lived with people that were messy, I was messy. If I lived with people who were clean, you know, and... Um, you taught me what I like, what I don't like, and um, I got lucky in this relationship because he didn't pose himself in my life as the answer. 
You know, I was kind of looking for the answer, and he just kind of snuck in. <clears throat> I thought he was kind of crazy because he really liked me a lot. And I was like, oh. um, and so God helped me be myself in this relationship. Okay? <laughs> Turns out that's really key because you can't put up uh, a facade for ten years. You know, so um, if I'm Abstinent, I got a shot at a relationship for me. I mean, if I'm eating, where am I? I'm God, I'm not available to you. I ain't getting in, you know, I ain't getting naked with you. You know, I mean, it's it's got to be uh, my feel-good way to take care of my well-being, you know. So, now that that's all on the Internet, are there any other questions? Is that it? Okay.